Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you? Good. Hebrews chapter 10 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one, please, from the pew rack right in front of you so you can follow along as we study God's Word. And as we get started this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time reviewing. Not just last week, we always do that. I want us to reach back a little further, though, and review the last several weeks. I want to remind you about the context of Hebrews, uh, the overall context into which this letter sermon was written. Uh, Remember, these people who received this letter originally are folks who had left Judaism to follow after Jesus. They had grown up in Judaism. They knew all about the temple and its sacrifices. They knew all about the priests and the festivals and the covenant and all of these things. And then they met Jesus. They heard the good news of grace in Jesus Christ. And they walked away from Judaism in order to follow after Jesus. Well, a short time after that, life got really difficult for these people because they were following Jesus. They were persecuted. They suffered. They endured great pain, shame, ostracism, oppression even from the community. Life got really difficult for them. And and in that difficult life, they were tempted to turn away from Jesus and go back toward Judaism. And, And I know that that's not a direct parallel with any of you in this room today. I don't think there are any of you in this room today who are experiencing that kind of persecution. And even if you were, I don't think you're tempted to leave Jesus and go back to Judaism. I just don't think that that is the direct parallel that we have today. But we all have some kind of difficulty in our lives that makes it difficult sometimes to follow after Jesus. And we all face the temptation to walk away from Jesus and go back to our old way of life. That is very real to us. And so this letter is not far from us. It's not 2,000 years removed from us. This letter is written for us today. And the author is writing this letter into that context to try to encourage the people to stick with Jesus, not to turn away from Jesus, but to show Jesus as the ultimate treasure, as the ultimate priest, as the ultimate sacrifice, so that they would cling to Jesus even when life got hard. So the author spent several chapters In fact, the bulk of the book is dedicated to telling these people that Jesus is a better high priest who offers a better sacrifice and that serves, that sacrifice serves as the foundation of a better covenant. And then based on that information or that revelation about who Jesus is and what he has done, he called the people to action. This was just a few weeks ago in this room. He called them to draw near to God with confidence through Jesus Christ, right? He called them to hold fast to their assurance, hold fast to their profession of faith, hold fast to their commitment and not let it go. And then he encouraged them or commanded them better to consider each other and and to be in this together, to encourage one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. He basically said that the idea of drawing near and the idea of holding fast are corporate responsibilities. They are not just individual responsibilities. We do this together. And then, about three weeks ago in this room, we saw him begin to motivate the people to actually do what he was calling them to do. And we saw that he did this in a variety of ways. First, he did it by warning or by threat of punishment. He basically says, if if you walk away from Jesus, there's no sacrifice for sins. There's no other sacrifice for sins other than Jesus. And if you turn your back on Jesus, you turn your back on grace and hope and eternal life, and you turn your face toward eternal destruction, damnation, condemnation, eternal hell. He said that's the way it goes, and so he gave them this warning and this threat of punishment. And then last week, he changed his tone a little bit as he sought to motivate them, and he talked about the importance of remembering. 
And he told them stories of faithfulness, particularly a story about their faithfulness during similar circumstances shortly after they were converted. He said to them, essentially, this is not the first time you face this kind of pressure. It's not the first time you face this kind of suffering. And he said, I want you to remember how you endured last time. I want, to re- I want you to remember how you stayed faithful last time so that you would continue to stay faithful this time. We talked last week about the importance of remembering God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to God in the past, in the former days. We need to remember his faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to him. And we talked about the importance of endurance last week. And I told you that we endure best when we endure together. We, we don't have a lot of endurance when we're on our own. In fact, the, the surest way to quit is to be all by yourself. But if you're together, enduring together, you'll stick, the, stick with it more likely. We also said that it's important that we endure with joy, not with a grimace, not with pain, but with joy. It said, the author of Hebrews says, you people accepted joyfully the plundering of your property. You accepted that with a smile. And we're going to see a text in James that will back that up a little bit later today. And we also need to endure with our eyes fixed on heaven. It says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, with his eye fixed on the joy that was set before him. He was able to look past the present suffering to future glory, and that future glory helped him endure the present suffering. And the same thing is true for us. If all we see is our circumstance, we will surely quit. We will surely fail. But if we can look beyond our circumstance to eternal glory with the Lord face to face, we can endure anything in this life, knowing that that is what's around the corner. Well, this week, the author is going to continue with his motivation, and he's going to motivate them this time, not with a threat and not with stories of faithfulness, but with the promise of reward. And he's also going to throw in, for good measure, a bold statement of confidence in these people. So we're going to see the promise of reward and a bold statement of confidence today. So we've seen, we will have seen by the end of the day, at least three different forms of motivation. Threat of punishment, stories of faithfulness, promise of reward, and bold statements of confidence. My question for you is, which is the most effective? Which is the most effective form of motivation? This is a trick question. This is a trick question because all of them are effective for different people at different times, right? And I don't know which one is effective for you. That's why we want to share all of them. Because some of you need that hard hand, that harsh word, that kick in the pants to get your attention. Some of you needed the threat of of punishment. Some of you needed that. And others of you need a more gentle approach. Maybe the story of past faithfulness or maybe the promise of this reward. I don't know exactly what you need, but I trust that the Lord knows exactly what you need. And I'm thankful that he gives us what we need through his word. That this is, this is not me uh, trying to motivate you and come up with different ways to motivate you. This is the Lord in his word motivating you in a variety of ways. And I am confident that at least one of them will be effective for you. So today we'll look at the promise of reward. So I want to start reading today way back in chapter 10, verse 19. Because I want you to see, because we're coming to the end of chapter 10 today, and I want you to see this, this unit of Scripture all together as it works together, and then we'll study closely verses 35 to 39 today. So chapter 10, verse 19 starts the exhortation, starts the application, really, of the whole letter. And that's where we'll pick it up today as we read together. This is what God's word says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, mark that word maybe, confidence 
to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, this is what we're studying today. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Let's pray together. God, we, we acknowledge before you this morning that on our own, we cannot see. We're blind. And on our own, we cannot hear. We're deaf. And on our own, our hearts are made out of stone. and cannot receive your revelation. And so we come before you this morning asking you to give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, and hearts that can receive the message that you have for us today. We recognize that on our own, it's, it's empty, it's futile, it's impossible. But with you, all things are possible. And so we pray that you will show us yourself today, and that in light of who you are, we will see ourselves rightly. And we pray that you'll help us respond to your word today, to be changed forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so there's a lot of text. I want you to see how all that works together. Hopefully you can see, even in just reading it, the way the tone changes throughout. And I, I love that last part, don't you? But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. I want to be able to say that with confidence over you. Notice in verse 35, he starts this passage with the word, therefore. We talk about the importance of that word. It connects what lies ahead with what came before, right? This is not detached. This is all one fluid thought. So the encouragement 
his encouragement for them to remember the former days when they didn't give up, that serves as the basis for what he's about to say in the next few verses. This, therefore, doesn't reach very far back, maybe just back to verse 32, but it picks up that thought and it's going to carry it forward when he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. This idea of confidence is a theme, one of the many themes that's been developing throughout Hebrews. Remember, we've been, we've been painting this picture of Hebrews as a symphony uh, where we've got uh, one song being played, but there are lots of different instrumental sections who are playing different themes, different melodies that sometimes are really loud and come to the front and sometimes fade away into the background so something else can come forward. Well, this idea of confidence has always been there. It's always been in the music, an idea of confidence. In fact, if you'll turn back to chapter 3, you can see it in verse 6. Go back to chapter 3. Really turn pages or scroll or whatever you've got to do. Chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 5. He says, Now Moses was faithful in all his house. Remember, this was in a section where we said Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was great, but Jesus is better. He says, Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. You remember when we talked about that, we said it's not that we become part of the house by holding fast our confidence and our hope firm until the end, but we demonstrate that we are part of the house by holding fast our confidence firm until the end. It doesn't earn our way into the household, but it demonstrates that we are part of the household when we have that kind of confidence. Turn a page to chapter 4 and start reading with me in verse 14 about this idea of confidence. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right, So we have a, a confident hold on the gospel message. And because of the gospel message, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have a confident approach to the throne of grace. We have a confident hold and a confident approach to the throne of God. Now go back to chapter 10. We read this a minute ago, starting in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this idea of confidence has been there throughout the letter. And now here at the end of chapter 10, uh, at the end of this part of the exhortation, he's going to say, don't throw away the confidence. Don't throw away that confidence that you have in the gospel. Don't throw away that confidence that you have as you approach the throne of God because of the gospel. Don't throw that away, but rather hold on to it. Hold on to it tight in the times of trouble. 
George Guthrie talks about this word confidence and he talks about how it's about openness or boldness or confidence, he says. Uh, and then he says there's overtones in this word of something that's done publicly. So it's not a confidence that is private. It's not a confidence necessarily that's just internal. It's a confidence that is public. This is what he says. It'll be on the screen. He says the author of Hebrews is encouraging the believers not to retreat from a pattern of public identification with the body of Christ. He reminds them that such identification will be rewarded richly. Remember, he says, listen, when, when people were sent to jail for believing and preaching the gospel, you went to visit them. You didn't stay away from them. You took care of them. And you took a bold stance publicly. That's why you get persecuted. No one, no one on the planet right now is being persecuted for being a silent, private believer in Jesus Christ. No one's being persecuted for having a private faith. Everyone that's being persecuted today on the planet, it's, it's because they're preaching Jesus. It's because they're spreading the message. No one's going to persecute us for being silent. But when you speak up and you boldly, publicly identify with Jesus Christ, then, then you stand the chance of being persecuted. So the author of Hebrews here is exhorting the people to hold fast. Right? That's the opposite of throw away. Here in the text he says, don't throw away your confidence. What would be the opposite of that? The very thing he's been saying from the beginning of the book, right? Hold fast, hold tight, stand firm. He's encouraging them to hold fast to the faith even when life is hard because, he says in the text, there's a great reward. There's a great reward for those who hold fast. This is the positive side of what we talked about in a negative way a few weeks ago, right? In the negative way, he said, there is a threat of punishment for those who walk away. For those who walk away, there is the terrifying expectation of judgment. But for those who hold fast, for those who walk with Jesus, there is the promise of great reward. And both of these truths motivate us to do what? Both of these truths motivate us to do what? Hold fast. Stand firm. Keep your confidence. Trust in Jesus Christ even when life gets hard. Look at verse 36. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. I'm pretty convinced that this is basically just a restatement of what we just saw. Just another way to say, don't throw away your confidence. Trust in Jesus and keep trusting in Jesus. This word endurance is an interesting word. Um, when we talk about it in English, there are a couple of different definitions that will be on the board. When we think of endurance as a noun, it could be defined as the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. Pretty good picture of endurance, right? There's difficulty, there's unpleasantness, and you don't give up. That's what endurance is about. Uh, another, another example of this uh, is that endurance can be defined as the capacity of something to last or withstand wear and tear. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you need endurance. You, believers, in Jesus Christ, need endurance. If we think about endurance as an adjective, though, it can be defined this way. Denoting or relating to a race or other sporting event that takes place over a long distance or otherwise demonstrates great physical stamina. I want us to see that this is exactly what we need as believers in Jesus Christ. We don't need to be able to run 100 meters and then rest for two weeks. We need to be able to run and run and run and run and run. We need endurance. We need to be able to run even when it gets hard, even when it hurts. In fact, at the end of the day today, I'm going to ask you, how do you build endurance? 
You build endurance through pain. That is the only way to build endurance. If you're not pushing yourself a little further and a little further every time, you don't build any kind of endurance. If you quit when it starts to hurt, you know nothing of endurance. And so he says to the church, you need endurance. You need endurance. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, speed on the board, this is gold. He says to hold on, to continue to do God's will. This is the task. To start and to make a spurt now and then is easy enough. But to keep on is trying to every spiritual muscle and only God can enable, can enable you to do so. I think when I look at the church, I see a lot of fits and starts, a lot of spurts now and then. It's not what we've been called to, church. We've been called to steady patience. We've been called to endurance. We've been called to the long race where we run and run and run. And I love what Spurgeon says. He says, you, you can't do that on your own. You need God's help to strain all of those muscles. So he says in the text, you have need of endurance. And then he says, so that you, when you have done the will of God. Well, what is the will of God that he's talking about here? Well, I think the will of God that he's referring to here is that you would believe in Jesus and that you would go on believing in Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit later today about how the question is not, did you believe in Jesus? The question is, do you believe in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? That's the question that matters most. So what is the will of God? That you would believe in Jesus and that you would go on believing in Jesus. That you would trust in him and that you would be trusting in him. That you would draw near, that you would hold fast, and that we would help each other in this process. That is the will of God. He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What do you think he's talking about there? Receive what is promised. I think he's talking about heaven. I think he's talking about glory in the presence of God, seeing him face to face, no longer dimly through a darkened glass. I think he's talking about the promise of eternal glory in heaven. That's what we receive. I'm confident that's what this text is talking about, that it's not talking about levels of reward. This text is heaven or hell. So what's on the line today when we talk about this text, heaven or hell? And I want to be clear about one thing. You don't get to heaven because you hold on. You don't get to heaven because you have endurance. R. Kate Hughes says it like this. Perseverance does not earn salvation, but rather it is the key evidence of saving grace. So, so we're not going to hold on and hold fast and work hard and be tough and have discipline so that we earn our way into heaven, but rather our holding on, our holding fast, our having confidence is evidence that God's grace is real in our lives. It's the proof. Endurance is the proof of saving grace. It doesn't earn us our way into saving grace. Does that make sense? If we get that wrong, we've got it all wrong. If we get that backwards, we, we will be condemned. The gospel is about grace, and endurance and perseverance are the evidence of grace. So, in this verse, once again, the author encourages the people to hold fast to Jesus. And, the, and he promises a great reward for those who do. John MacArthur sums this verse up when he says on the board, They are closer than ever to the eternal reward. It's no time to turn back now. And I want to say that to you. You're closer than you've ever been to heaven. You're closer than you were yesterday. Closer than you've ever been. Don't give up now. 
Don't give up now. The finish line is just around the corner. Don't give up now. Christ is coming soon. Don't give up now. The, the race is almost done. Don't quit now. You'll miss out on the reward. In fact, that's what he does in the next couple of verses. He goes back to the Old Testament like he always does to reinforce his point. Look in verse 37. It says, for yet in a very little while, just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is from Habakkuk chapter 2. And it's so appropriate for the context. It's so appropriate for the situation that these people are facing. In many ways, he's saying to them, guys, Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. When he says the coming one will come and he will not delay, he's telling the church, the church that is struggling, the church that is tempted to turn away from Jesus, he's telling them, listen, he's coming back soon. Don't give up now. Don't give up now. He's coming back soon. And secondly, he says, church, don't give up now because the saved, the saved people will persevere by faith. He says, my righteous one shall live by faith. It's what it looks like to be one of God's children. It's perseverance. What it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is endurance. He says the saved will persevere by faith. And then thirdly, he uses this text in Habakkuk to warn the people and say, the lost will be shown to be lost by shrinking back. And he says, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So listen to those three ideas. Jesus is returning soon. The saved will persevere by faith and the lost will shrink back. It's extremely important as we look at this part of the text to see the centrality of faith in endurance, to see the centrality of faith in the perseverance of God's people. It's not so much a matter of toughness. Perseverance is not so much a matter of toughness, of dedication or discipline, although all of those things have their place in endurance. Endurance is ultimately about faith. Tom Schreiner on the board says it like this. It is persevering faith that saves, not just a one-time decision. For if one turns back from trusting, then God will not delight in him. Those who turn away from trusting God will not enjoy his pleasure, but will experience his anger. They will face judgment rather than salvation. So I think that's how we get to this question. That's the question of the day, really. It's not, did you believe in Jesus? It's not, did you trust in Jesus? It's not, did you repent of your sins? The question of the day is, do you believe in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you repenting of your sins? I'm so thankful for the text that was on the board during the song that said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, lest you prove to have failed the test. And it's not a test that just looks back to a day when you were seven years old or 17 years old. And sure enough, I, I believed in Jesus on that day. The test is look at your life right now. In this moment, are you resting your weight on Jesus, his person and his work for your salvation? Are you resting your full weight on him for your hope? Or do you have him just in the rearview mirror? And I think if Jesus is in your rearview mirror, you're in trouble. I think this text teaches us that if Jesus is only in our rearview mirror, we've got big problems. So, 
faith. Faith is essential in the process of endurance. In fact, we're going to see that in chapter 12. A lot of you know Hebrews because you know Hebrews chapter 12 and the hall. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 and the hall of faith. You know about Noah and Abraham and all of these guys, these heroes of faith. They're going to be living demonstrations of what real faith looks like. And we'll talk about them for months to come in the next few months. And I love the very last bit of, of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, when he says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So he's motivated them by the threat of punishment. He's motivated them by stories of faithfulness from their past. He's motivated them by the promise of reward that heaven awaits for those who endure, that heaven awaits for those who don't give up. Heaven awaits for those who don't throw away their confidence. You want to go to heaven? Then hold fast to Jesus Christ is what he's been saying. And then he closes with this final bit of motivation when he simply expresses confidence in these people. And I love this. I love this, that he uses the word we again. He identifies himself with the people. He's been preaching to them for a while now. And now he's preaching with them. He says, that's not who we are. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction. This is, this is good motivation, right? After laying out all these principles, I think if he was there, he wrote this to them, but I think if he was there in the flesh, he would have looked all of them in the eye and says, we are not. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction. We're not those who throw away our confidence. We're not those who turn our back on Jesus and end up in destruction. That's not who we are, church. We are of those who hold fast to the faith, endure to the end, and receive the reward, Right? That's who we are. And I want to say that with confidence over many of you. Over many of you, I want to look at you and say, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That's who we are. But I cannot say that of all of you. I would be a liar if I looked you in the eye and said, that's who we are. That's who you are. I wish I could. In fact, I hope that that's one of the results of this kind of study is that we have more and more confidence as we move forward, more and more proof of the grace that we claim to have in our lives. More and more confidence is the goal as we move forward. George Guthrie says the decision before them is clear. They can choose the route of faith and be rewarded by the Lord at his coming, or they can shrink back and face the Lord's displeasure and destruction. Verse 39 is why I think this is about heaven or hell, not about degrees of reward or closeness of fellowship. He says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. That sounds like hell to me. But we are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That sounds like heaven to me. It's big stuff on the line here. And we need to listen closely. And we need to examine ourselves closely, honestly, to see whether we are in the faith. Not if we were in the faith. That's not the question. He talks about a lot of people in this, in this book. Jesus talks about a lot of people in Matthew chapter 7 who were close to the faith, but were never really part of the family. The question is not, did you believe? It's, do you believe? So here's the application. What about you? Who are you? Are you one who shrinks back to destruction? Or are you one who has faith to the preserving of the soul? What about you? Are you one who has only believed in Jesus? Or are you believing in Jesus? 
Are you one who has only repented of sins or are you one who is repenting of sins? Are you one who has only trusted in Jesus or are you one who is trusting in Jesus? What about you? Who are you? It's the question of the day. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to invite the Lord to help us examine ourselves. That's application number one. Application number two is how do you build endurance? How do you build this kind of endurance? And I'm confident that the only way to build endurance is through pain. It's through pain. It's through difficulty. It's through trouble and tribulation. James chapter 1 says it like this. And I think it's on the board. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. This is incredible, right? Consider it joy when you encounter trials. When the trouble comes your way and the suffering comes your way and the persecution comes your way, he says, consider it joy. And then he explains why. Knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Is that not exactly what's going on in Hebrews? Their faith is being tested. And if they pass that test, it will produce, as this text says, endurance. Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's what happens when we endure. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Not without flaw, that's not what that word means, but it means full and confident. That'd be the author of Hebrews word to, to put in there. Confident as we approach the throne of grace. Confident as we face persecution. Confident as we face other kinds of suffering. That's the way we build endurance. And so church, when it comes, I don't know that our first prayer needs to be, oh, take this pain away, Lord. Oh, take it away. Just deliver me from this pain. Deliver me from this trial. If we read this text, it seems that a, a, prayer, a better prayer would be, Lord, use this pain to conform me to the image of Christ. Lord, use this pain to make me more like Jesus. Lord, use this pain to teach me endurance so that I'll have confidence as I walk with you toward glory. I think that'd be a more mature prayer. I think that'd be a more Christ-like prayer. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane did have that moment where he said, take it away. But then he followed it up with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that the Father was going to use this kind of pain to produce a fantastic result for the world. And he will use your pain as well. Your suffering, your persecution, your trouble, your trial, your tribulation, he will use it for good. So persevere and keep the faith. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Trust in him. Let's stand together and pray. God, we pray in these moments that you will help us to examine ourselves truthfully and honestly, that you will shine light into our lives so that we can examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, that we would test ourselves. God, help us to consider our present posture Guard us against looking in the rearview mirror for confidence. Help us to consider our present posture, whether it is one of repenting and believing. And God, if it's, if it's not, I pray that you bring conviction into our lives 
that you'll bring us to Christ to trust and go on trusting, to repent and go on repenting. That we wouldn't see our salvation as merely a one-time event, but as a lifelong journey, a race toward glory by grace, through faith. God, help us to see it that way and help us to live that way. And God, I want to pray for men and women and boys and girls in this room who are facing trials of various sorts. I pray that you will use that trial to test their faith to produce endurance. I pray that you will use that trial to conform them to the image of Christ. That you will use that trial to equip them to be compassionate to others. God, we don't ask for deliverance from every pain. We ask that you would use every pain for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. So meet with us in our suffering. Sustain us in our suffering. Help us to endure. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.